Hello, this is Dan Brown. I'm here today again with another A Lens A Day Conversations about Information Architecture. And today I finally get to talk to the prudent Ron Bronson. Ron, thank you so much for joining me. It's seriously, this is seriously the best thing to have this month. And I was in Finland, so that's a big deal. That is, so wait, <laughs> did you just get back? I got back last weekend, yeah. Okay, because I feel like I was just seeing Instagram pictures of you in Finland, and I'm like, how is yeah. he going to get back yeah, for this I'm conversation? All right. I made it back uh, to this conversation. So let's let's talk about IA process. I'm really interested in um, how uh, you kind of help people when they're thinking about kind of large bodies of content, when they're thinking about kind of sort of endless mountains of content. How do you help people get their arms around what it is that they're dealing with. And maybe one way to look at this is how do you help people, uh, or what are the kind of big obstacles? What are the hardest parts of um, helping people through this process? I think people don't realize that there are different kinds of content. They just think it's words on a page. They think that pages are pages and they're not discrete kinds of information. And so the first thing that I try to do across the board is help people understand that the page with, and also like the purpose of the information, right? So it's like the type of information and the purpose of the information, you know? So like helping them sort of separate in their minds that we just like the internet is, the website is not a place of dumping ground for all the stuff that you used to put on paper, which, you know, working in the places I've worked, they're a pretty consistent problem, right? Government, higher ed, wherever. People just assume them. So you just put stuff, it was on paper, just put it online. Somebody will find it. If they want it, they'll find it. That's not, especially now, right? Especially now in this era, that's not what we want to do. So, so helping make those make that delineation for people is, is the first thing that I try to do. Uh, that's great. Is there a favorite uh, tool or technique that you have? I think especially especially for um, purpose. Like, what is it? Like when when people are used to just sort of taking piles of paper and putting it online, thinking about purpose is like the last thing on their minds. Mm -hmm. Is there a favorite activity that you have to kind of uh, help people kind of um, develop that sense of purpose around their content? So I have, I think the best, I mean, I've not been in super mature organizations. So I haven't had the uh, benefit of being able to like treat people on that 301 level. I have to go very 101 with people. So for me, it tends to be a lot of like conversations, spreadsheets, maybe, a, you know, a, a whiteboarding tool like a mural, mural, something like that, where you can kind of help break the things down. Um, spreadsheets really help a lot, though, because a lot of folks like them. And, and you can kind of show them all the information to say, okay, here's the information. It's all splayed out. And sometimes just that visual of, oh, I didn't realize we had that many PDFs on the site. Oh, I didn't realize that we had this, we have this many duplicates of the same thing. And so I found that that's a really helpful, even though it's also a really easy tool to transport information into, um, to show people kind of as to get the impact that I needed to be able to move things forward of like, hey, can we cut eight of these or, hey, we're going to merge these or, um, so yeah, so I don't have a really like, you know, super like, oh yeah, this really cool process. I mean, I could, but typically I'm doing five other things too. So I'm just trying to get them done. Uh, is there uh, a part of the process that you find um, um, personally most enjoyable? Like what, what is it that 
you when you're sort of working through an IA problem or a content management problem? <clears throat> what is that part of the process that you just get most excited about? It's really satisfying to call stuff. It's extremely exciting to, to get to, like, I worked on the oh, city website, a musical website before I took the job I have now. And one of the most exciting parts of that, and we gave a whole talk on this, was being able to go from having like 10,000 forms of discrete content on the site to 500 pages. And so, yeah, that was really fun, actually. It was really fun. Now, that process was built out of some friction and some other issues. But the fact that we got to, like, that's such a cool way to, like, I know users are going to find what they're looking for a lot more efficiently. Our our bounce rates drop dramatically. Like, you know, like, and being able to make the case for why that's happening, that that part really fires me up. So the I guess the for me, I guess the after effect, the post of we got through the, the, so the, the you know, trawling through the content, and we're on the other side of it now and being able to sort of see how users respond to that, how you adapt and update, you know, maybe, maybe you made the wrong calls. Oh, it turns out that page was really important. We need to bring it back. I love that part because then it's like you really get to test it. So it is the iteration, the iteration is the part that I really like, whether it's early stage iteration or late stage iteration. I really, really like all that. You, can you, uh, if you can share, walk us through a little bit of what did it take to get from 10,000 pages to 500 what was sort of like was there a turning point was it just a slow burn what was the what was that process like so that process was it was a was a project with a lot of fits and starts that i come into 18 months in so there was like a redesign of 18 months in process before i started and we shipped it in a year when i showed up um but basically we ended up having we thought we had more time to call and to re refine and iterate it turned out, and also, we, so, we, so I guess there are several problems. One, politi political will is what made it happen. Basically, it was like, hey, look, we need a win. The website's our win. You have 90 days to ship this instead of the six months you thought you had. And then it turned into 30 days. We're going to launch this with whatever we have. And at that point, we realized, okay. And then the second thing we rediscovered in that process was that a lot of the, a lot of the co content types, we're going to get to this later, but a lot of the content types that we had, we built these three or two or three different uh, content types that we had. The old site didn't have that sort of that uh, framework. So we had to rewrite stuff. We had to rewrite entire pages of content that we didn't have because it didn't fit. We had landing pages that didn't exist before. So, so a lot of the 500 were these pages that didn't exist. That were like calling together four and five and six different old pages. And now we're creating like a sleeker one pager thing. Um, so the political will helped. The other, and, and that was basically the air cover to be able to say, we're going to go with the most important information based on the stats, the data, the information. We're going to go with that. Everything else will come later because this is a one, this is a 1.0 and we're just going to do that. And it's, we're, and, you know, we, and we had, so basically a lot of that, that process was setting redirects to the old pages so that it didn't break the entire site. That was the majority of our work. The actual content creation wasn't that big a deal. The migration wasn't that big a deal. I had help for that. It was actually just making sure that when we lost this new site, that you're not going to break 10,000 links to things right. that we can have. So, so we, we automated that part, but it's still, that was the hardest part of that, that migration process. It, it really, what a story. I mean, it makes me think that, uh, I mean, I've been talking to a lot of folks about information architecture and we've been talking about sort of 
how complex IA is and how it requires time and how it's abstract. And so it needs to, uh, it needs to, you need to ruminate on it. You need to help people understand these problems. And when you tell me you had 90 days, you had 30 days, it's like, you could, you can do IA in that amount of time. And maybe, maybe strict deadlines is really what IA needs maybe more than anything else you know <laughs> strict deadlines and air cover um because the air cover is what did it without air cover we couldn't have pulled that off wouldn't have worked we'd have gotten in trouble people would have you know complained but when the head of the head of the mayor is like nope got a problem come see me well cool we can make some hard choices now i got i got all the, I got all the power i need to cut and call and keep um that's amazing uh i wish i had a mayor that i could sometimes appeal to yeah no kidding yeah it was the wildest deal because we were kind of incensed at first a little mad about wait what you just said <laughs> but then you when you realize oh this means we can do whatever we want for right. 30 days so they ship this thing and they were basically like yeah literally whatever you need to do to ship this thing do it legally do it and that's exactly what we did have, have you been able to bring that forward like to other projects that you're working on where oh, yeah, absolutely even though maybe you're not getting that same kind of pressure from a deadline perspective you've you're kind of cultivating the air cover definitely i think it's you can build i've had projects in my current existence where you build trust with these executive sponsor type people like a lot of times technologists and accounting us in that love to talk down to or seem smarter than the people that they're who are in power who are paying the checks writing the checks right metaphorically or realistically and my thing is always to try to like help them understand and bring them along in this really like, in a way where they can, I don't need to be the smartest person in the room. I can just help you understand how to say this. So when you go to the meetings and say the things that I was going to say, because you understand it well, you're going to do that. And I've had that happen a lot where I've had meetings with partners who didn't get it. Why does it need to be iterative? I thought we did research. What do you mean we have to do more of this? Why can't you just build something? I can build a website myself. Going from that to months later having that same person go to a meeting and say the things to the people who are his peers and, and superiors that we were saying to him five months earlier because he started to understand it. he started to get it he saw the fruits of labor we came around too to sort of being able to give him what he needed to be able to sell that and so that was that's super fun because then now that years later that work is still ongoing right like you get to you know this thing that was dead in the water gets to be an ongoing thing. And it's just a big website build. It's like, you know, it's got a lot of tentacles and lots of zeros behind it. But to have that that growth is all based on getting that executive buy-in, that build, you know, trust, the trust word early and often and renewing that relationship, that charter constantly. And that's not a one person job, obviously, right? Like it's a team job, but still having that relationship. Um. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think a lot of the work that we end up doing, because it is so complex and so abstract, that building up that cachet of trust ends up buying you the leeway to have uh, conversations, not just about research, but about doing some deep thinking about mm -hmm. uh, IA. Uh, and of course, that brings us to uh, the lens uh, that you picked. That was my that was my feeble attempt at a transition. Did that feel Nailed right? It. Nailed it. Stuck the landing. Wait, let's see. Oh yeah, she bought it. Um, oh, so uh, what? Uh, so why don't you tell us what lens you picked and what about this uh, kind of resonated with you? Or maybe describe it in your own words. Let's start there. I picked content types 
um, partially because actually the project we talked about, the, the culling project. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a Drupal redesign. So, you know, like you can, I see the horror on your face and, um, and, um, all the tool, all the annoyances that involved in making, making, a, making content types in Drupal work. But, um, but I really liked it because it was, um, for me, what it conjures is, um, I mean, say, I obviously like the right, even though this is not a one for one, the content, but it's kind of the, for me, content types are the right tool for the job. Right. Um, like sometimes you need a long form page, not often, but you do sometimes. Other times you just need people to give people what they need, give them the form and let them get off the thing. But the job is not to make someone live here and do this thing, like make it efficient, make it easy, make it, make them, give them what they need. Like I, I liken it to the retail experience. And to me, content types are, you know, from an IA perspective, from a site design perspective, to the ambition of CMS are the way to me, one of the, one of the routes to that, even more important than the page design necessarily. Because you understand what you're trying, like what you're trying to accomplish with the content that's going on that page, it will inform how you design the page to make sure that the content is brought to them in that way. So whether it's a landing page or not. So, so yeah, I, I, I really liked it. And I learned a lot about it on that, pro like I've learned about it since, but on that project specifically was, was really just me. I was the designer, UX or whatever. I was, I was, I was a lot of, I was wearing a lot of hats in that project. So I had to really sort of think through this. And it was one of those deals where, and kind of a neat why I encourage young people a lot to take jobs where they have to wear a lot of hats and where they get to get a lot of latitude is because, and I've talked to my boss, to my old boss since then about this, that pro, like had decisions that we made, that I made, that I recommended that we made, had we not, had I not said those things, had we not made those decisions, you'd still be living with the, the other decisions. It might still work in other ways, but like it's one of those things where, you know, it's a fork in the road and it's like your life, it's like a choose your own adventure novel. And maybe both outcomes will be fine, but like, you just know that the other outcome is because you don't know what you're missing. So I think content types are like that, where it's like, yeah, you could do it this other way, but if you add a little bit of like insight or research to, to, the, to the thing you're trying to do, like it might give you a 10% or more gain on, you know, like whatever your goals are, whatever you're trying to achieve, whether it's increasing traffic or, you know, lowering bounce rate or, you know, other stuff, so. For me, content types uh, always um, evoke this feeling of um, like, I feel like content types were the first concept that I encountered in my career that I understood pretty well, thought I did, and other people really struggled with other people, not like in the UX field, not in the IA field, but you know, just sort of subject matter experts or stakeholders or whatever. And like this idea of a content type seemed very alien to other folks. And so I was sort of, I felt like I was constantly trying to find ways to explain what a content type is. Have you encountered this sort of resistance to understanding the what it is or what role it serves or why it's so important? Yeah, I think people don't necessarily think people really just think the content is content, the stuff, stuff they set on the site, these are pages. And thinking of pages as discrete pages and not as types of pages, types of content, buckets of information. And so one of the earlier things we do, I do on a lot of these projects that I end up on is trying to explain this, these pages, they all have text on them, but they're not a Michigan government. You say, yeah, I know that I know there's content, there's lots of words on all the pages. So you think they're all the same, but they're actually not. And like, well, what do you mean? This is this kind of page, this is that kind of page. And so, you know, maybe not. 
I don't always use the preferred nomenclature of these things for a lot of like a lot of end users who don't care about like what the stuff means. They just want to know how to deploy it. And so my tactic tends to be that it tends to be here. Let me explain this to you and show you and tell you and give you a model, a mental model for how to do this. But maybe I don't ever give you a technical understanding of like this is a this is a thing. Um, partially to bore them, but also because it tends, tends to, for me to to me to work better with the audiences I work with. But I don't that'd be everywhere. Um, I wonder if you could get, um, yeah, that, I mean, that's, uh, I've heard that now several times of we've sort of developed this, um, uh, you said called a nomenclature or jargon, right, around yep. the work that we do. And on the one hand, it makes the work feel very important. Uh, but on the other hand, it makes it less accessible for the folks that we need to bring uh, yep. to, the, to the table. Are there, are there, um, you talked about spreadsheets before, are there other ways in which that you draw people into the conversation about content types? Like when, once they have an understanding of a content type is a, the purpose and structure of content, how do you draw people into that conversation? Um, depends on who, but I think the people who are interested parties in it, I think, they're pretty engaged in the, the, the conversation. It's more helping them to like, like usually it's around the metrics, like things aren't effective enough or they feel like it's not being noticed or they feel like they need more of it. And so it's, it's less about engaging them in the conversation around like content is a thing. It's more like, let's make this work better for your goals. And that's a thing that's always often foreign to people. They don't realize that you can you can have that kind of like level of uh, you know that you can that you can you can you can measure stuff you know or that you can that you know you can you make choices that that can be successful or whatever around. So so I tend to do that. Um, focus the energy, basically focusing a lot of energy. There's a lot of it's a lot of wild Kermit typing that happens a lot on these sites, right? And so it's trying to and people are overworked and 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 they again there's a churn. Um, I find that the, the lower you get, and I mean lower in terms of the lower, the hierarchy, the closer you get to the sun in terms of who's producing the content, is the busier the person is and the less uh, dexterity they have with like the systems they're using. I mean, they're not good at CMSs or they've gotten really good at this CMS and you're moving to a new one. Um, you know, like they've managed the workflow, but it's like, it's like you change one thing and it messes things up for them. So I think it's like trying to try to understand the pain points in their situation and how to support those individuals because they're often, I find they're maybe one level up, maybe the person who's approving the content. They're the ones who have the hardest time with the, the, the shifting and change, you know, leadership, you can, yeah, sure, whatever. But those folks, the ones doing the work maybe have the hardest time. So trying to understand, so maybe less about me teaching and more about me trying to understand and listen, which is a thing we can all do better um, to try to help diagnose the problem space and help them move forward. Uh, uh, that's, um, uh, brings me to the question that I've been asking everybody. Uh, one of the reasons why I started this series is I'm, uh, have observed anecdotally, of course, that some designers who are newer to the field, um, don't have as much, um, exposure to information architecture issues. Um, maybe they came up through a boot camp where the boot camp, you know, just didn't spend as much time on IA. It's not, it's not 
the sexiest part of no, it's not. I was just gonna say it's not a topic, baby. And now we're gonna teach you how to use a spreadsheet. Like it's just not something that people get excited about. Um, or even if they didn't come up through a boot camp, um, it's uh it's just not something that gets a lot of exposure in day-to-day work either, right? There's a lot more focus on designing screens or even research or testing uh, and sort of that deep thinking about structure is not something that um, younger designers or newer designers newer to the field are getting exposed to. So I'm asking folks, when you coach uh, a younger designer or when you provide mentoring or when you provide advice to them, how do you help them either apply this lens of content types or just think, you know, cultivate an IA mindset? done this i've had to do this um i think it's it's a well for one letting them know it's a thing because a lot of folks like you said don't know it's a thing like this is a job (laughs) like what do you mean this is a thing people used to just do all the time um i think you know like us web 1.0 people that's the issue is that you know in the old days webmasters ha right you just wore, you wore all the hats, you did all the things. And so you kind of, you had no choice but to be exposed to this stuff. And now everything is so split up and content again is treated in a different way. So I tend to, um, A, I tend to give a history lesson, which is always really popular. It's not. And then, um, like, hey, well, let me tell you about, uh, but then after that, um, then with them, it, it tends to be more of using the same tactics I use on a stakeholder or a partner on individuals I'm on a team with, right? Actually more junior people. Um, so spending time, you know, like, so the research we'll do and the synthesis that we do, you're breaking these things down for them so they better understand the whys, not just the what's. Um, and I, I tend to find that helps a lot, letting folks drive more and then you kind of being around for that. Again, when you're doing research, when you're breaking, when you're doing synthesis, um, when you're um, applying, um, measuring like, you know, what to keep and what to call, you know, um, bucketing content. Um, so, so it, 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 again, it's all about back to spreadsheets again, but, um, but I find, I find that it, you know, for them, that is the way the jargon comes in and it does help to give people, arm them with more tools for their toolkit of like, oh, these are tools you can deploy, showing them, you know, different tactics and different tools based on the problem to be able to, hey, this is where you start. You don't like, you've got to, and I, you know, with content, you got to start here. It's not a thing you, you do later. Because people, people will tell you you start later or you don't have to do it at all. But if you don't do this now, it's going to hurt you later. And here's why. Um, so painting that picture I found has been a pretty successful tactic for folks. Ron, that was awesome. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank I you. Really appreciate it. Likewise. Thank you.